Snoop Dogg demonstrates perfect propaganda technique and what the arrest of Stacey Abrams' brother-in-law could reveal. This is Propaganda Reports Drive Time News Blast. I am Brad Binkley. This is going to be a rather quick show today. I got to run, but I did want to get these couple of stories in before I did. So I want to start by talking about one of my favorite people to talk about, you guys know, Stacey Abrams and her brother-in-law, who was arrested last Friday on human trafficking charges. Now, I don't want to talk about this to try and imply guilt by association when it comes to Stacey. I want to talk about it because the evidence thus far that's been made public doesn't look good for him. And with that being the case, I think that this is a good story to keep an eye on because both his sister-in-law and his wife have the power and influence to help him get out of this jam if they so choose, and it will be interesting to see if they do choose to help him brush this under the rug, see if they'll abuse the justice system to get rid of this potential problem with a relative of theirs, you know, kind of like the Biden administration does with Hunter. I'm not associating the two together. I'm saying if the evidence does point to him violating the crime he's being charged with, will they Leave them hanging or will they help them out? And that's why I want to keep an eye on this story because I don't know that the media will, seeing as much of his social media presence and his website, his business website, it's all been scrubbed from the internet already, although I did find one of them on the Wayback Machine, which I'll get to in a second. So he does get the presumption of innocence, just like everybody else does, but you'll see what I'm talking about with the fact pattern and how it doesn't look good for him here in a second. Here's the story. Stacy's brother-in-law is a guy named Jimmy Gardner, and he's married to Stacy's sister, Leslie Abrams Gardner, who is an Obama-appointed district court judge for the Middle, Middle District of Georgia. She may even be the first African-American female district court judge, if I recall correctly. She was appointed back in 2014, and hold on, let me find my place here. All right, so... He was arrested on Friday, according to the press release from the state attorney in Florida, after his 16-year-old victim called police to report that Gardner had committed, that her and Gardner had, excuse me, to report to police that Gardner had committed sex acts on her at the Renaissance Hotel at International Plaza. Wow, that's, that's a four-star, I think. That's a, that's a fancy place to take an underage girl who may or may not be a prostitute, allegedly if we accept what she told the police. Now, the press release goes on to say that the victim told the cops that Gardner paid her money and then later became angry and choked her when she refused to have sex with him. And his booking charges include human trafficking for commercial sexual activity with a victim less than 18, lewd or lascivious touching of a minor 16 or 17 years of age by a person 24 years of age or older, and a misdemeanor count of battery. And according to a statement from police, the victim initially agreed to have sex, but later told Gardner that she no longer wanted to engage in the act, which is when he got angry and told her she needed to leave his hotel room. And according to that statement, the two then began arguing, as mentioned previously, and then Gardner put his hands around her neck, and that's when he began choking her. And then he left the hotel room after, thankfully, he stopped choking her. Good move on him to get out of that situation there. You know, if this is true, she could very well be making some, if not all, of this up. That's when she called the police after this happened, allegedly. And this is why it doesn't look good for him. Because after she called the cops, they came to the hotel. When they got there, Gardner was gone. But the victim 
was still at the scene. And everything that I've read about this story, I've read a number of articles, makes it seem as though the victim was still in the hotel room. Could be wrong about that. It would look a lot better for him if she were just outside the hotel room. But if she were in his hotel room, then at the very least, he's going to have to explain why an underage girl was in his hotel room in Tampa, Florida, when he lives in Georgia, at, at 2 in the morning. Maybe there's an explanation for that, but that's probably not the best fact pattern for him right there if you're defending him in a court of law. And this also doesn't help. Shortly after she called the cops and the cops arrived, Gardner walked into the local nearby police precinct himself and turned himself in, which I'm guessing he got on the phone with his judge wife, and she was like, turn your ass in, don't run, or this could get bad. We can handle it, but just go straight to the police department. That's my speculation right there. So, sounds to me, if we accept um, at least the premise of what she told police, factoring in the, fa- the, the fact that she was at the scene of his hotel room at that four-star hotel when the cops got there, it seems like they started fooling around. He paid her up front. Maybe he paid her for sex. Maybe he said he was giving her money for something else. It was understood. But once they started fooling around, a sex act was committed, and that got him a little bit excited. And then she decided she didn't want to go all the way with it, which pissed him off because he had blue balls at that point. And that's when the anger started. Why did she stay there, though, is the question I have. After she tells him to leave, why didn't she just leave? Perhaps she was expecting more money. Perhaps he didn't give full payment, just partial payment up front, and she was demanding full payment or the pimp was showing up. I don't know. It is weird that she stayed unless there's a, a transactional reason why. Or maybe she was trying to extort him. That's a possibility as well. Maybe she's saying the pimp's going to show up if you don't give me the rest of this money, Mr. Stacey Abrams' brother-in-law. Any possibility. I'm sure there's many that I hadn't thought of. And what's more interesting about this story what makes it more interesting to me is this guy's background and his current profession. He's a motivational speaker who speaks to people who've been previously incarcerated, which he knows something about because he was previously incarcerated for 27 years for a couple of rapes that he apparently did not commit. He was exonerated of those crimes in 2016, And then after he was exonerated, he did what everyone who spends nearly three decades in prison for a crime they didn't commit does. He got out and went and married a district court judge in the state of Georgia. Everybody does that. Judges tend to always marry people who've been in prison for three decades for wrongfully accused crimes. They met apparently at a gathering of black female judges. And he's also met with other prominent activists like John Lewis after he got out. And that's when they started dating and getting together, and he started going around doing motivational speaking, and it sounds like a little bit of activism as well, because anybody associated with Stacey Abrams and their family does activism. That's what they've been trained to do their entire lives since literally they could walk. So here's what it says on his website. Let's see if I can find that way back. All right, I don't have the website pulled up right now, but his website has is gone, first of all, but you can find it on the Wayback Machine. Hold on, I'm going to show it to you guys if it's here. No, it's not here. So the About page on his website, and I'll tweet this or something out later if I can't find it in the next couple of seconds here. Yeah, it's not in here. 
here's what it says on the about page of that website, of his business website. It says that he delivers a message of positive thinking and resilience to high school and college students in the Tampa Bay area and elsewhere around the country. And then it goes on to say that he is an active motivational speaker engaged by high schools, colleges, and universities, including Georgetown School of Law, churches, community, as well as civic organizations throughout the country. So he speaks to young people. Most motivational speakers tend to have a younger audience and with part of his focus on, of motivational speaking being on people who have been wrongfully incarcerated, I think it's a strong assumption, although we'd want to verify it, that he frequently speaks to groups of young, troubled kids who have been previously incarcerated for something where maybe he's hoping to help them go in a different direction in their life where they don't become incarcerated again, or at least that seems like it could be a premise based on what his website says. If that is the case, and outside of the hotel stuff, more of the things that the victim claimed to police can be corroborated, then what I would do if I was an investigator is I would want to find out if this has happened before. Because it's pretty awful luck for a criminal, if not saying he's a criminal, but just a hypothetical criminal, to commit such an act for the very first time and then get caught the first time he does it. The one and only time this person does it, he's busted, or she, or they, or whoever. Chances are this has happened before. So I would want to go look at some of these audience members. Probably going to look at some of the vulnerable, younger, previously incarcerated ones. Remember the whole Jeffrey Epstein thing? What they would do is Jeffrey Epstein would target these girls that had broken families, troubled backgrounds, had been in and out of jail because... They were easy to discredit. Nobody would believe them over Jeffrey Epstein at the time. That's literally the strategy that was used by him and is used by many other predators. So that, that is a line of inquiry that I, I would go down when it comes to the investigation. And I, I would also, also want to know if this has happened before, if he's using his exploiting his position of authority and exploiting talk of his famous family member, Stacey Abrams, if he's using that to gain their trust and get close to them, and he's therefore targeting these vulnerable ones that he knew might be a little bit of an easier easier target for him. I, I'm combining kind of the, back, the story of, you think what Harvey Weinstein did, the position of power with what Jeffrey Epstein did, and this is all speculative. This is the line of investigation that I would go down if I were the prosecutor here. Now, best case scenario for him is this chick knew who he was. She looks 25 years old. They somehow interacted at 145. Maybe he met her at the speech or something. And she calls him or texts him, says that she's been kicked out of her house or something, has nowhere to go. It's cold, raining. Or not, I don't know if it's cold or raining in Tampa right now, but whatever, hypothetically. And he says, uh, okay, you can come stay up here. I'll sleep on the couch. You can sleep in the bed. That's like best case scenario. That's probably the type of story I would be trying to pull out of him that Stacy and her sister's probably trying to formulate right now if they are going to help him. But I'll tell you why I think they might not help him uh, in a second. Or he just thought she was like 25 years old. It never crossed his mind to find out what her age is. And he just likes to pick up hookers when he's on the road. Because i got to be honest with you, when you look at this marriage, it looks like a sham marriage for political purposes to me. Because the dude, or if, 
it fits the Stacey Abrams and the Abrams family narrative perfectly. They grew up performing and doing activism in prisons where their father would take them there when Stacey was like six or seven. They would sing and dance and do all this stuff for people in prison. Her dad, before he got the Emory Theology Scholarship, and Stacy came and did activism here in Atlanta. It's all a very, very strange story. I've gone through it many, many times in the past. But her dad would preach sermons to prisoners. And this guy, being someone who was wrongfully accused, is the perfect virtue signal that Stacy uses on the campaign trail all the time, that I'm sure her sister does as well. And I think it's a sham marriage. That's That's my belief on that. And so... If it is a sham marriage, then Stacy's sister probably doesn't give a rat's ass if he's out banging hookers all the time. He probably just, she probably just says, make sure they're of age and don't get caught, which he violated that right now. And that, that's kind of why I think that possibly they might not help. I think it's possible that they could have the power to cover this up for him if he is guilty. Now, this is a big if. But th- they might not do it. They might say, screw it, because... For an Abrams sister to get cheated on by a husband with an underage, maybe it's a prostitute, maybe it's just someone in a bad place that was offered money, for that to happen, to be victimized by a man like that, would do nothing but help Stacy, help her sister, it'd give them another story, it'd give them more reasons to, to pull in campaign funds. I mean, every time Stacy is victimized, her power and influence and her wealth grow stronger. She has gotten to where she is and her sister to a lesser extent because they have played the victim card perfectly throughout their entire life. That's why I think unless he's got some serious compromising information on them, that they may very well throw him under the bus and then emerge the sister with Stacy by her side, triumphant. She found out. She never could have seen it. And everybody will love her more for it. So, I'm going to watch that story just to see how that plays out there. The dude did appear before a judge on Saturday, and his wife was there with him, Miss Leslie Abrams. And he was given a bond of $500,000, which Stacey Abrams can probably find between her very, very, very large couch cushion seats. Much more than that is probably underneath there. Okay, if only he was white. If only the husband was a white guy, then this would be the perfect victimization story for the Abrams sisters here. All right. Speaking of Stacy, while researching this guy's background a little bit, I, I came across this, which I thought was funny. This Cura always has these questions. You can see it on screen there. Question is, this is from 2020. Is it politically incorrect to criticize Stacey Abrams? Can you imagine going to Cura and going, you know, I'm going to ask Cura. Yes, is it politically incorrect to, to criticize Stacy? I just I don't want anybody to to think I'm I'm doing the wrong thing here. So I'll go to the Cura community, which probably the FBI or somebody else putting these stupid questions in there. As you see, there's a question below it that says, "Is it politically incorrect to criticize Dr. Anthony Fauci?" But it does not ask if it, it then. It, then the fourth question is, is it politically incorrect to criticize Barack Obama? And then it says, is it politically cr- incorrect to criticize Kamala Harris? And then why do so many conservatives dislike Stacey Abrams? So we have six questions here. Four of them are, is it politically incorrect to criticize so-and-so? And then right smack dab in the middle, 
It says, Donald Trump says he wants to send the governor of Georgia to jail for refusing to overturn the 2020 POTUS election results. What might the procedures be? What might be the procedures needed to begin this process? So, no, no, is it politically incorrect to criticize Donald Trump? Only, is it a racist only ask this about black and Indian? Because Kamala Harris is not an African American. She would be called a person of color, but I, I don't know. Kiora is probably a CIA operation. Anyway, here's what the first answer here says from John Nurse. You can criticize her all you like, but I, for one, am likely to be standing up for her. You can see he's an old white guy there, guessing uh, progressive. I understand that a likely criticism is that she refused to accept that she had lost and claimed her opponent had cheated, just like people now claim Trump has done. And his response to that is this, and he gives point headings here. Thank you for the point headings, sir. His response is, it's true that she was slow to concede, but she did so 10 days after the election. Number two, what she claimed was deliberate and intentional voter suppression by Governor Kemp. She did not claim it was voter fraud. Oh, I see. Third one is, Kemp was the Secretary of State in charge of the election, and he refused to recuse himself while this deliberate and intentional voter suppression was going on at his discretion. Oh, so that's a very presumptive statement that he made right there. Following the election law, she founded Fair Fight Action, an organization to address voter suppression. So he just talking points that Stacey sends to all these idiots in their fair, fair fight email list. I get these same talking points in my email list from Stacey. Does anybody say yes, it's fair? They probably banned anybody who said yes. Well, Jill says, are you going to criticize her policies or her waistline? Well, that's a good question, Jill. Claiming that it's cute to be rude because you're politically incorrect is a BS excuse Excuse as to be nasty as you want to be and toss the blame back on the person you're being rude about. So I love how this person here, Jill, who has 170 upvotes for that answer, is attacking the person who asked the question. The person didn't say anything about her waistline. This person just gets mad at them because these people are insane. All right, enough of that. Moving on, quick update, and then we're going we're gonna to roll out of here because i got to get going here in a second. Update on that story about the pro-Israel counter-protesters. This is how the media described it. And the pro-Palestinian, or Hamas, pro-Hamas, how the media described it, but nothing, none of them actually call themselves pro-Hamas. But those two guys that got into that uh, altercation that ended up in one of them because the other one hit him with something or pushed him or pulled at the flag, fell back, hit his head, and died. Died like a day, day and a half later at the hospital. When this story happened, you will recall, I covered it extensively, the propaganda that was being spread immediately and the attacks that people got who said, what about due process? What about asking some questions? Yes, you can explore the worst-case scenario possibilities, but you also have to be open to that maybe being wrong. And before you call it a hate crime and use it to instigate other conflicts, which it did, the media just ran with this, called it a hate crime, insisted that it was murder, and attacked anybody who dared say, what about due process, presumption of innocence? What about his day in court? You're attacked if you say that. And what happened the next day, and according to the media, this incident that happened the next day, which was at a, like a museum of 
not a museum of atrocities. I can't remember what it's called, but it's something to do with the Holocaust. They showed a film that the chick who plays Wonder Woman was because I think she's from Israel, was showing this film, and all these protesters and counter-protesters from pro-Israel, pro-Palestine came, and they got in a big fight afterwards, and they were just punching and people beating the hell out of each other in the streets, physical violence, and it was attributed to what happened to this man who died during the protest the day before. So the media caused that. That is the media's fault. And if anybody had died at that second one, that blood would have been on their hands because they encouraged it instead of telling people to take a breath and looking at the circumstances. Well, they have arrested someone. They arrested the guy, the 50-year-old teacher. I don't have his name, but the pro-Palestinian protester. He was arrested for involuntary manslaughter, which is exactly what I said it looked like had gone on. Two guys who came to protest, the, the pro-Israel guy actually came to the protest that they knew the Palestinians were doing, and they do it vice, vice versa. They just try and provoke people all the freaking time. And these two guys got in this heated situation, one of them with a giant-ass flag and the other with a, a huge, allegedly a huge megaphone that we think, but they haven't confirmed yet, might have been swatted down at him. I think he was trying to knock the phone out of his hand, and when he whipped it up, hit the guy in the face, made him stumble back and fall. So that's why I said I think I don't think it's going to be a hate crime. I think it's going to be involuntary manslaughter, and that's exactly what they're charging him with. Now, of course, the police, here's what they say, just to give you some of the quotes from the cops. It says, this is the uh, Ventura County District Attorney, Eric Nazarenko. He said, to be sure, we received no evidence, no statements, no information whatsoever that the defendant arrived at the in intersection with the intent to kill, harm, or injure anyone. Now, that's, that's not what the media told people afterwards. They said it's murder, he planned it, he, it's a hate crime, he killed him because of that flag. And then, the, then the DA says, nevertheless, as the charging document sets forward, it is alleged that he committed involuntary manslaughter, specifically that he killed another with criminal negligence, specifically reckless conduct that carried with it a high risk of death or great bodily injury, and that a reasonable person would have expected and appreciated the risk. And that... Based on what I've seen, I, I, that's plausible to me. And when they get these people in these protest situations, some people will say it's false flagged or the guy was killed later or something. Yeah, they, they do stuff like that sometimes. But also, when you put a bunch of people right next to each other and you shake everything up and you, and you Jerry Springer and, and say, hey, this guy wants to kill you, he wants to kill you, now fight, then a real incident can happen. So... They're setting the, the stages for stuff like this to happen. And the organizers who organize these people, they're never on the front lines. They gain wealth, power, and influence from a distance while these fools who they send to the front line end up dead. And I, I'm sorry to call that guy a fool or the guy who's arrested a fool. I'm sure they're very passionate. And you can be a protester and activist, but the, the real activists don't get media attention. The, these are just people who, who are... Uh, they're, get, they're trying to get attention, they're trying to bird dog, and they're having their strings pulled by the Stacey Abrams organizers of the world. Just when it comes to Palestine, Israel, and all these other... It, 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 that's what pisses me off about activism. I don't, uh, people believe what they believe. I, I, I'm okay with what people believe. I'm not going to judge people for a lot of that. You know, you judge people sometimes, but you, you get what I mean. But it, it's the activism that they're, they're being lied to. The people putting them there do not care about what happens to them. They're being used. They're pawns on a chessboard. Anyway, Nerasco said that they did not file murder charges due 
to the uh, they, uh, the reason they didn't file the murder charges is because of a lack of intent. And he said they did not file the hate crime charges, but they are still investigating. So people can keep their fingers crossed about um, hate crime charge, but I, I don't think it's going to happen. It's tragic. It's absolutely tragic. It shouldn't have happened. That guy should be alive right now, and this guy should not be in jail. But the media wanted to use this to make us fight against each other and tear each other apart. So we should stop listening to the media because they're assholes. All right. One more quick one that I'm getting out of here. So Snoop Dogg pulled the wool over a lot of people's eyes. Uh, started Friday, and today is when he did the reverse, the misdirection. And he actually demonstrated perfectly, in fact, a propaganda technique that the media uses on us all the freaking time. I mean, he might as well have been Jake Tapper the way he effectively, or him and his company effectively pulled off this propaganda technique and it's worth looking at because it's easy to get fooled by this like you might have been fooled by this anybody could have been fooled by this i i, I bought into it i was I, the language he used made me skeptical but i wanted to believe that he quit smoking weed so my confirmation bias hoped it was true and i was wrong it wasn't so here's what happened in this story with snoop dogg hold on where's my place here all right, so it all started, I think, Friday when he posted this black and white image. I'm going to see if I can share this with you. He posted it to Instagram and probably Twitter also. Uh, all right, so there it is. You see it looks real pensive, real pensive, like he's thinking about something. He's got his hands up in front of his mouth, and it says, After much consideration and conversation with my family, I've decided to give up smoke. You're very, I decided to give up smoke after all that. And then he says, please respect my privacy at this time. Signed, Snoop Dogg. And then you have a whole bunch of comments here. Many blessings to you, to your health, and to your success with no 420. My husband is 73, a Vietnam combat veteran. Smokes it every day. He's also 100% PTSD diagnosed, has short-term memory loss, but says it's not from smoking. And this wife doesn't believe it. She thinks that actually it is. And a lot of... People have, have kind of publicly quit, quit smoking. So it, it's plausible. I think Jimmy Dore was one. I think he even expressed support to Snoop Dogg. Many, many people did. Many people believed it because why wouldn't they? It's an effective technique. But if you're watching it the same way you're looking out for propaganda, you'll notice probably the same thing. It's pretty easy to notice. Is that he didn't say he quit marijuana. He led people down that path so that he could misdirect them with the ad drop today, right? And so using that misdirection, let me show you the, what he said today when he completed the turn. Everybody's like, oh, I hope Snoop Dogg's okay. What's he going to do? What about Martha Stewart and her businesses? Who's she going to smoke weed with? Is he going to do gummies? Why would Snoop give up the thing that made him Snoop? Will he still be a good boxing announcer, a, a good rapper? Well, here he is. Getting everybody. Hold on. I'm giving up smoke. I know what you're thinking. Snoop, smoke is kind of your whole thing. But I'm done with it. Done with the coughing and my clothes smelling all sticky icky. I'm going smokeless. So while this is happening, it was a close-up on Snoop, and then it was pulling outward. So it's about to show us a wide shot, which is going to be the reveal. He's going smokeless. Solo stole fixed fire. They took out the smoke. Clever. Smokeless. So... Solo Stove. So it's an ad for Solo Stove, and this, the tagline is Go Smokeless, Solo Stove. So that's what Snoop meant when he said he was giving up smoke.
But he knew that everybody would assume that when he said, I'm going to give up smoke, that people were just going to project marijuana in there, even though he didn't say that. You could say he lied, but he said, I didn't lie. I didn't lie. I said I was giving up smoke, not marijuana. It's you who assumed that. You put that in there, and this is, this is exactly what the media does every single freaking day. They exploit what people want to believe, and they exploit people's assumptions about certain topics, certain people, certain issues, knowing that they can lead people to develop a false belief about something without technically lying to them. So that when people then say, but you lied, they say, no, we didn't. This is what we said. That's what you assumed. And then the fact checks they do will say fact check true when they say they didn't lie or whatever. And they can build this circular evidence to cooperate just like they do. And it starts with that misdirection with the strange language the media often use. Very specifically chosen. The biggest example of this, the most obvious one that comes to mind, are the 51 Intel high-ranking officials that told us that the Hunter Biden laptop during the 2020 election when it came out, that it had all the earmarks of a Russian disinformation campaign. They knew that people who heard that, who wanted to believe that it was bogus and, and didn't want to know anything about that laptop, would hear that as it is a Russian disinformation campaign, and they would tell their friends that. Hell, President Biden said, the intel agency said that it was a Russian plot. No, they never said it was a Russian plot. And in fact, when they were accused and have been accused repeatedly, as they should, of starting this disinformation campaign, they said, we didn't lie. We never said it was Russian disinformation. We said it had all the earmarks of Russian disinformation. That was you who assumed that we said that, just like Snoop did here. Maybe Snoop's an intel official as well. Anytime you notice the very, what do they say, MAGA adjacent, is that how I say it? Adjacent language used that doesn't directly say something but leads you to believe something because of what it implies. It is worth asking, what did they say and what am I assuming? And that is where you will find the propaganda being spread. So good job, Snoop, Jake Tapper, dog. That is, watching ads are, it's another way to analyze propaganda, but this was just right on, right on point. What it also does is because he is so well known for smoking marijuana and this misdirection, it caused, it caused so, much, so many people to talk. And then when he pulled the wool out from underneath people, a couple days later, combine all that together, you're going to have yourself a memorable ad. Now, I don't know if it's going to sell any of these things. I don't know if they're any good. But people will remember this ad. They're talking about it. That's what you want in ads, and that's what you want with propaganda. So there you go. All right, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run, guys. I'll come back later tonight. It's gonna be, it'll be late, but I'll do a, a short XR tonight, and we'll be back doing a show tomorrow. I hope everybody's having a good Thanksgiving week, and we'll talk to you next time. Have a fantastic rest of your day. If I had a Snoop song, I'd go out on it right now, but I'd probably get a copyright strike. I'd definitely. See y'all later.